Alrighty, we are joined. Thank you for joining us at uh, Ships in the Night. My guest this week is the one, the only, Vic G. It's great to have him on. How you doing, Benji? I'm good, Vic. You want to grab the mic or just go uh, a la, a la mode, sure. a la carte? Just, you know, yeah, we'll play by ear, right? Yeah, Ready man. What, uh, what are you drinking there? Oh, uh, you know, the, the Rot Gut Kentucky Deluxe. It's cheap. I picked it up last night. I was planning on drinking before I went into the lair to tell jokes, but I was already kind of fucking wasted anyway, so luckily I didn't decide to pour that on top of the cauldron that was fucking going on inside my body last night. <laughs> what uh, what all was in there? Oh, man, just a medley, man. I mean, pretty much the last two weeks has been, you know, just a mix of psychedelics, you know, cocaine, amphetamines. Mm-hmm. Um, I took a little Xanax in between there, but I really don't like that shit. I don't like it as all I'm, It's like a pure form of Xanax. I don't like... I don't like any of those like benzodiazepine like antidepressant drugs because they they basically kind of just make me floppy and that I'm not enjoying the high because I don't even you know I don't register so huh. it's kind of pointless. Okay, and then these are just you. Well, what? I just didn't have my kid for a little while. You know, he was over in Colorado Springs and then he was over at his grandfather's and so why not? You know. Sure, man. What uh, what kind of psychedelics are you into? Uh, all of them. See, um, last week I took. Some LSD. Um, this week I took psilocybin, just just yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine gave me some shroom goo. So you know. I, shroom goo? Yeah. Well, it's a pure form of psilocybin. It's like you know concentrated psilocybin, so you don't get all farty from eating mushrooms or you know gassy and kind of feeling twaggy in the body. That's what mushrooms kind of do. If you just eat mushrooms, you know you get so a real body fry that. It's like the. Enjoy. It's like the hash of. Uh, yeah. mushrooms kind of. There you go, sort of. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And it, it, it's you know it's like a breath. Basically, my friend he had it wrapped up in a tootsie roll. Uh, this it, was, it looked like a tootsie roll. I literally bit half of something that looked like a tootsie roll, but then tasted like psilocybin. Man. Oh man. Okay. Sorry for the sketchy audio. We're trying to move around the recorder, trying oh, yeah, to get the best audio. No problem. It's good <laughs> uh, we're in a studio here. Yeah. No man, we're in your studio. We're in the studio of your life. Yeah, and this is where I live. This is how I. How I exist as a, as a person, as an artist and a slave, to, a food uh, slave. To set the scene, when I got here, the very first thing I saw was Vic picking up his uh, pitbull and making his pitbull kiss another pitbull. What's your pitbull's name? Uh, her name is Stormy. Stormy? She's right on her. She's a cute dog. Super sweet dog. Yeah, I bring her around a lot. If you've noticed, I brought her to a few mics. And yeah, I've seen her. Yeah, man, she's... She's a good buddy, especially when your wife's being a bitch, you know what I'm saying? When you're used to sleeping separate, you know, it's nice to have a dog. Yeah, your dog will always sleep with your feet. Yeah, you know, she keeps my house protected. And she's not too aggressive, and she doesn't bark a whole lot. And yeah, she came right up to me, and she was, yeah, she was she real friendly. Adorable, you know? Yeah, so um, the premise of this podcast, uh, Ships in the Night, it's kind of connecting with people we only know, like, in a real slight sense so it's just you know like people just pass each other all the time which there were all these acquaintances are making like these real hollow uh temporary relationships that don't really mean anything this is kind of about connecting examining all that stuff so uh let's get to know each other a little bit more right you're filling in the gray area though yeah kind of like turning the twilight uh, adjusting the light yeah there it is i like that uh, so let's get to know each other vic what um here how do you let's i always like to start off with this how do you know me well, Benji, I know you as a comic. There you go. Uh, a new face, young comic. I mean, what, you've been on the scene for about a year now? Two, two and a half, three. Two and a half, okay. Yeah. There you go. I, I, I usually overshoot how long a lot of the new guys have been around, so now I just undershoot it. Just so. Well, I mean, that's good because it'll, it'll hurt their confidence, too. Honestly, it seems like uh, 
a lack of confidence isn't the problem with a lot of the, the guys. Yeah. I, I I hope for a lot of the I I call kids that are just up and coming, you know, the scrub scrub comics because basically they got to come through that first level of bullshit and adoration just to get to a, even maybe one paid show or even mm-hmm. just a showcase in which you're not yeah. on an open mic. I mean, it's a big piece of politic fucking shit in this scene, and it's crazy because. Denver as a comedy scene is it's got so much growth, and it's got the largest open mic scene I would say in North America. But as far as paid mics and comics being treated as performers, you know, paid artists, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a fucking monopoly, fucking owned by fucking Wendy, and the comedy works and fucking then the improv. So it's like those are the two rooms where you can really get paid. Voodoo you can rent out, and if you make any cash at the fucking door, you know you get something off that. But I mean, there are a couple places around where you can get paid, but like the the serious money is definitely locked away in the clubs. Yeah, and how many are there? Are there fucking three? Two comedy works and one fucking improv and and loonies. Well, yeah, wow, loonies. Oh my god, that's how fucked up loonies' situation is because I fucking forget that they exist. It, I mean, I've heard they pay pretty okay for a thing. I mean, yeah, not going to so discuss it's a shame that they're not rates, getting the notoriety but... because you know shit. We need more fucking comedy clubs, period, in this city, I think. We need more. We got more enough art. comics. Why don't we get some more clubs out here? We need more arts, just in general. Um, okay, good stuff. We know each other through comedy. Um, what? Uh, paint me a picture. What does Baby Vic look like? What, what were you like as a kid? Oh, well, you know, curly-haired, lots of shit on my face mm-hmm. from eating crap and not being watched very closely. The parents weren't there, or you just, uh, well, uh, you you just know, got away well, from my, them? My mom was kind of, you know, she, they were both partiers, and they both separated before I was old enough to realize that I had parents that were married, so it wasn't like I was affected by a divorce like a kid who remembers his parents being together and then feels that loss. Mm-hmm. But both of my parents were fairly irresponsible, and both of them used to choose to, you know, have recreational time for narcotics. Oh, man. So, you know, honestly, I, I wouldn't say I had the worst upbringing, but, you know, it wasn't it, it wasn't s- simple. You know, I didn't have that suburban, basic Americana taste of the pie. Sure. You know, I, I was born in Southern California, you know, uh, like 20 minutes outside of Compton. Okay. Like, like, yeah. West Covina is pretty much like the ass edge of, you know, Los Angeles County. How long were you in uh, L.A. area for? Until uh, I was about... 10 years old, and I came here to Colorado first before I went out east. Mm-hmm. Um, I came out here to Colorado with my dad because he had a job opportunity. Well, first he came out here, he left me with his mom, then came back to pick me up after he'd been out here for about a year. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, so he just left you with Yeah, with grandma. my grandmama. Okay. Yeah, my old grandmama who wasn't born in this country, has some very specific old world values. Oh, God, like what? Just Like, God kids? forbid you talk shit about Mussolini. Oh, whoa. Oh, <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, I swear to God, my grandmother's fucking famous for, he never had a choice. You don't know what would you do if your country was in turmoil. And, you know, I understand where she's coming from, but, man, it was, it was really hard to try and explain that to company, you know, when it came down to discussing things like that. And, you know, my grandma was a real interesting lady. You know, she lived a really, really strange life, you know, for a woman who was Sicilian, mm-hmm. 100% Calabresian, and she was born in North Africa. Her father was the foreman of a coal mine. Okay. Uh, he passed away during a collapse. Oh, oh, wow. oh well. Shit. Yeah, and they finally pulled him out, and he had too much internal damage. And back then, you know, medicine wasn't so great, so <sighs> he passed away. But, you know, it's nice to say to my great-grandfather, died saving other human beings. But then, you know, there have been times where, you know, I've been on some drug benders and some alcoholic benders where I started to resent the fact that, you know, my grandfather would waste his time saving people 
Honestly, because, I mean, this world is full of a lot of shitty human beings. I mean, more often than not, you're meeting a person you don't want to know. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's more than a headache, man. It's, it's a tear that I can't quite get out, you know, but it's, it's always just there. Getting along with people you don't like or just the fact that there are, like, people that you don't like? Well, j- just the fact is there's, it's so easy to not like almost everybody. You yeah. Know, at this day and age. So, for me, I, I'm, my standards are, I wouldn't say low, but I give everybody a real wide range, you know, to express themselves before I decide whether or not to fuck them. Well, and uh, ideally, I think that's what you would... Is your kid doing okay? Yeah, he's upstairs in his room pissed off because Brian went to take a leak, and he doesn't want to sit in his room right now. He wants to be part of shit, but I don't want him grabbing crap while we're sitting here, so he can stay and play with his toys in his room. Okay. He's totally fine. Checked his ass, so there's no poop in there, and you know he's been fed. There's no poisons for him to get to, so fuck him. Good, good, good. For all you people who have kids, you know, stop coddling them. Stop calling your kids. The Vic G audiobook coming soon. <laughs> so, um, you were 10, living with Sicilian grandmother. Was that, like, really formative, or, like, the, the kind of, like, non-existent parents before 10 was more formative? It was definitely the most, the most nurturing motherly experiences that I had came from my grandmother, but I would say the most parental advice that I ever got the most basic parental advice for most of the likable qualities that I have Mm -hmm. came from my stepfather. He's the guy who married my mother because he basically figured, you know, these kids aren't going to make it if they don't have at least one decent parent. So thank God for him. Yeah, He stepped in and that's because he had had a kid in England when he was in the army and the woman who had gotten pregnant told him just to go back to America and forget about it. So he never got to know his own biological kid. So he was always had that longing. Yeah. Oh man. Are you, are you still like, friendly like in contact with stepdad uh yeah you know he actually lives here in colorado in western colorado um he's had some bit battling with colon cancer and crohn's disease and you know dealing with my mother as a fucking spouse that's Uh gotta be a goddamn headache (laughs) but yeah i keep in regular contact with him at least once a week i make sure he's not dead yet you know that's good i mean he's actually someone i'm gonna care about when he passes it's gonna be something that matters yeah man what uh what did he do for you as a kid like well you know he structuralized my way of thinking, he he gave me a a, a foundation for a moral compass. You know, mm-hmm. he let me find my own morals, but he basically gave me a basic foundation in which to treat other people. You know, and and to basically make decisions in my life. You know, before him, I really you know my my biological father was more like a big brother, you know, than a than a parent. I feel like he's just like. No, no discipline, just too friendly kind of thing? Or like he's just always shitting on you like a big brother? Or? Well, no, he was just basically not a parent, man. He wanted to have fun with me. He didn't want to, you know, the reason I became a comic, I would say one of the sole reasons I became a comic is because my father was too busy to watch me a lot of the time, you know? And so, mm-hmm. you know, he threw Richard Pryor on, you know? He threw George Carlin on. My dad longed to be a comedian and never had the balls to do it. Uh-huh. And for the longest time, um, even though I was so immersed in comedy from such a young age, I figured the same thing as him. That, you know, it's hereditary. I'm, I'd never have the balls to do it. But so many people told me that I should try it out and do it. And then I met Chuck Roy through a friend of mine that I'd been doing graffiti with for several years. Uh-huh. And Chuck told me to try Cosmos out. You know, What is Cosmos? Cosmos was a bar uh-huh. that had an open mic. Okay. Um. It was one of the only other open mics besides the Squire in town at the time because Lionslayer was off and on. Troy Baxley 
stopped doing the mic for a little while, and then Sam took over after there was a little bit of a gap there at mm. Lions Lair where there was no comedy for a little bit. Hmm. But honestly, the longest-running open mic in Denver is the Lions Lair. Okay. A lot of people don't know that. Lions Lair has been around. Well, it's like been going, what, 10 years? Uh, just with Sam, it's been eight and a half, almost nine years now. But, I mean, as a whole, it's been a facilitator for comedians, open mic comics, for 20 years, man. Wow. 25 years, somewhere in there. Fucking hell. I mean, I've been going to Lions Lair since I was 19. Man, so that's that's uh, 11 years, right? Yeah, yeah. I just turned 30 here in July, so. Okay. Wow. Damn. A lot of history in that little. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing to think about so many people who've gone through that bar. I mean, there have been a lot of major artists, influential artists that have performed at the Lions Lair, or just choose to hang out there when they're in town. Yeah. I mean, there are celebrities who will go to that bar because it was a dive where they wouldn't be bothered, mm-hmm. and they could go there and feel a little bit of the culture and and kind of feel human for a while. Because you know, once you get once you once you become a paid artist, and then you become a conglomerate, mm-hmm. you know, you uh, you have one of two choices: you become that conglomerate, or you struggle to hold on to what humanity you thought you had before you ever had any money. Sure. You know, money changes everything and exposure changes everything. Fame changes everything. I think about the fact that I've been doing comedy for 11 years and to me, if I were to quit now, it would be more pathetic than if I had quit year one because why would I continue on for this long only to stop because I'm not making any cash? Sure. I don't like some of the, I mean, dude, I, I hate to piss and moan. The fact is everybody has to deal with bullshit, but sometimes... Oh, sorry about that. Let me fuck with this phone real quick. That's a ringtone. That's not. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, this, not a murder. Yeah, this is my ringtone. But <laughs> just throw, throw it. <laughs> We're busy. We're busy, Ben. Priorities. <laughs> that was my. That was my wife. She was calling from work, probably to apologize because she was being a total bitch, and I made her feel bad this morning. Well, hey, at least she apologized. Oh yeah, she called to say sorry. That's because I'm really good with my words, man. You know, if I want to be, uh, you know, I know exactly what to say, in order to. Give me one second. We're going to answer this real quick, and I'm going to tell her that I'm busy. This is actually the second time during this podcast. Sweetheart, I'm doing a podcast from our living room right now, so I'm going to have to call you back, okay? Okay. There we go. So, um, now, uh, where was I? Wait a minute. I kind of lost track there. You said you have a way with words. (laughs) Yeah, I have a way with words. You know, know, it sucks when your strength is your kryptonite, you know? One Mm. of my biggest strengths is my mouth. One of my biggest weaknesses is my fucking mouth, mm-hmm. you know? And like I said, I don't like to piss and moan about my position as a comedian, not only here in Denver, but as a whole. But mm-hmm. I can't help but feel unfairly alienated and basically ostracized sometimes. I mean, I'm used as the brunt of a lot of fucking jokes because some people don't have them. So they're going to go up on stage and talk about the guy who's made a name for himself because he's noticeable. I mean, that was the one focal point of me as a performer was no matter what I do, stay noticeable. You if definitely na- you definitely bring in a, a unique energy. I don't think anybody would argue that. You know, if your name is coming out of someone's mouth, you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. You know, John Waters said there's no such thing as bad publicity. <coughs> I appreciate every single time somebody mentions me, especially during a comedy set, because, I mean, hey, if they're making room, they're making room for me. Mm-hmm. But what I don't appreciate is false friendship and nefarious agendas. Do you feel like a lot of people are like fake to you? Uh, I feel like there are specifically a handful, a small handful of people in the comedy scene. Most of the Denver comedy scene is full of guys just like me or you mm-hmm. just trying to just trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's it's more of a therapeutic thing like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous than 
you know, a performing art. It really has that whole vibe to it. It's just everybody, they call your name, everybody claps, everybody pays attention for just a little bit. Yeah, I had made a comment to a guy last night who was at the bar. Uh, pretty much last night, I was, uh, you know, I didn't yell at anyone. I mean, you've, see, you've seen the worst and you've seen the best of me, Benji. You've seen mm-hmm. me fucking go off and just be angry. And you've seen me deliver some material and, you know, tr- honestly try to genuinely make people laugh. Uh-huh. And there was a guy in the audience who owns a bar in Pueblo. And he had made a comment that people had laughed at while I was on stage. But I didn't take it as a heckle because of the fact that he wasn't trying to be, he wasn't trying to be mean. Uh-huh. But after I was about to get off stage, he was like, oh, this is an open mic? And so I said, no, motherfucker, it's an AA meeting. We all failed. We all fucking failed. We couldn't find that fucking higher power. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, by the way, good job getting more laughs than I did at the fucking bar. Do you remember what he said? Uh, I couldn't hear what he said. Oh, I could just bummer. hear the laughter that came after something that was just muttered from his lips. Mm-hmm. And so after, you know, as I was getting off stage, I said, yeah, by the way, good job for getting laughs off of my performance time. Sure. Would you like me to hold your dick when you're going to take a piss next? That'd be romantic. You know, I, yeah, it was, it was a pretty raw, rough way to impugn on his behavior but yeah i can't help it sometimes man i don't want to call myself a joe rogan that guy that's all he's about is just fucking yelling at heckler's butt. <laughs> my, my first memory of you Vic, uh it's not it might be the first is uh we were at kinga's i was 18 at the time and i was doing a set uh and i just had some i just said something about veterans it was pretty innocuous and this guy just got so upset he's like are you talking about my friend I'm like no i don't know your friend dude and just escalated. And this dude fucking charges the stage. And who comes out but Vic? And you totally, you like, you called this guy off and like fucking saved me from getting attacked. So I don't know if I ever like properly thanked you for it. I'd like to think that I did at the time, but just let's go on the record and I'll say thanks for that. You know what, Benji? I haven't thought about that until you just brought that up. And I remember that night specifically because I had to grab the guy by his shoulders and say, we're going this way now. Yeah. You know, I had to like direct him away. Yeah. And that's not the first time, not only at Kingo's, but at other mics where, you know, I've had to get in there and stop a situation that shouldn't be existing. You know, I mean, Nate Balding has been accosted. Fucking Jason Wasoki has been accosted. Mm-hmm. While I was hosting, Nate Balding got fucking punched in the face while I was hosting. Oh, the no. Yeah, and at first, when they were all on top of the guy on the stage, when I came out from the back, because I was in the back like everybody does when they go back, you go smoke weed in the back of the lines there. Yeah. You know, while one comic's up. So I come out, and the fucking mic is in turmoil. There's just a group of fucking people on the stage holding this fucking wild animal down. This drunk douchebag. And first I'm like, all right, guys, calm down. Let him up. Let him up. And then someone said, dude, he hit Nate Balding. And so I went from let him up to I kicked him. Like, <laughs> I kicked him in the ribs because it's like a gang for me, dude. It's like a fucking, I'm down for the set. Dude, don't fuck with us. I saw Sam Talent fucking throw a guy off the fucking stage for punching Wasoki. Nice. Like fucking threw his ass. And then me and fucking, uh, old fucking, uh, oh, God damn it. Uh, he's comes all the time cohen mm-hmm. pd cohen we chase this pd runs like the fucking terminator bro uh-huh. he runs like terminator to the cop and terminator to just like that was, <laughs> like oh my god dude he was just on this motherfucker like a yard dog and yeah we kicked him a few more times on the sidewalk and fucking brushed him up a bit but damn it, it's it's you know it's like a gang man i mean no, no one no one else is sticking up for us we got to stick up for each other and when yeah. it comes down to comedy especially comedy Keep your fucking hands to yourself, man. Stay in your seat and keep your hands to yourself. And if you're going to cross that threshold, then obviously you shouldn't be at a comedy show because yep. your sense of humor fucking sucks. I mean, I've seen like, I think, I feel like that's a sentiment that a lot of 
the the male comic share. Like I've seen Lund and Sam get like all puffed up because like they think there's something like a comic's gonna get attacked or like fucked with, and they're like, you know, I mean, they'll they'll shit on anybody for sport, but like when it becomes like a physical thing, they're yeah, like, like it's, yeah, fuck that. These guys shouldn't have. They they already have to worry about feel. You already have to worry about the emotional shit you're gonna go through from taking the sacrifice of being a comic. And that's what I call the sack. You're sacrificing a part of your personality to become this specific kind of performing artist because mm -hmm. all art is subjective, but of all the performing arts, stand-up comedy is one of the most rigorous, long-winded struggles that you can go through as a performer. People say it must be hard. It's not hard necessarily to be funny or tell jokes. It's just hard to find the reason for doing it. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I guess you got to just hope that you, know, you love it enough to keep doing it. or oh, Yeah, or you're getting at least something out of it. Or to, you're getting uh, something out of it, fill, yeah. Fill that plate, that empty plate. Let, uh, let's get away from comedy for a little bit. Let's. Uh, I like to go through a timeline. Um, with Grandma to 11. What, uh, so 11, we're talking junior high. Junior high, about that age, you start uh, noticing girls. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, honestly, I was, I was sexually immersed at a very young age, you know, on a, you know, uh, it's a little hard for me to discuss my sexual background as a kid because, you know, I mean, I grew up with siblings, none of us had the same dad, uh -huh. all of us had, you know, terrible stepfather figure, boyfriend figures that uh -huh. we, I mean, my oldest sister didn't even know my mom was actually her mother oh, until man. she was 12 years old because my grandmother forced my mom to sign over custody. <sighs> She was 19, and, you know, my this woman, Cricket, I refused to call her my grandmother. Uh -huh. um, she told my mom, you know, you sign over custody of this kid, or I'm going to call child services and put you in jail for your drug use. Oh, my God. So my mom signed over my oldest sister, and, you know, this woman made up stories about labor pains and shit. Uh -huh. So this Jesus. this girl thought that I was her nephew until she was 12 years old, and she was calling my mother her sister uh -huh. for years until finally... My mom's sister, Joni, my aunt Joni, basically checked her, checked her whole fucking world. She was like, hey, I hate to break it to you. Every single fucking thing that came out of the woman who calls herself your mother's mouth is bullshit. That woman you've been calling your sister, that's your fucking mom. Those kids that you've been calling your fucking nieces and nephews, those are your brothers and sisters. Oh, my God. You've been lied to, and you need to stop believing that woman. How did she... How do you even begin to take something like that? Oh, man. I mean, she took it hard. You know, she was already going through a lot being fucking sexually accosted by her fucking so-called male parent figures. Oh, my God. But she, you know, she definitely, you know what, dude? She's the most successful out of all my siblings. I could say this, dude. She's, mm -hmm. she's a, a lawyer, you know, a prosecutor for the state of Florida. Uh-huh. Um, she also is a real estate, uh, like a mortgage loan consultant and a real estate agent. So I mean, thank God she was able to rise above that. that oh that's, yeah, that's you know, inspiring. it's because you know she she didn't let her upbringing define who she was going to be. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone says you're a product of your environment. That's only partially true. You're also a product of your choices. You're a product of your ability to step away from the framework you've been given, and mm -hmm. that's the beauty of human sentience, man. Dogs can't imagine. Not being dogs. They don't know what the fuck. They couldn't even imagine the first idea of not being a fucking dog. But we as human beings, we can imagine all kinds of life forms. We can imagine and empathize all kinds of situations, which gives our, our level of sentience, you know, uh, a, a big kick. Yeah. But it also kind of gives us a fucking real bad fucking bruise when it comes to us failing when we should be ascending uh, as a civilization and as a species.
Well, that, that's the trappings of ego. That's uh, absolutely without ego. Like, what's the motivation to do anything? You know? Okay. And do you think? Okay. They're the. I, I would say like the last, like pre-Freudian movie, would have to be "It's a Wonderful Life." Mm-hmm. You know, because it ends with, "Hey, you just you were a nice guy till the very end." And everyone in the town loved you, so even though things were going bad, in the end, you just do the right thing, you're a nice guy, it'll all work out. Uh-huh. Now, post-Freudian is, it doesn't matter how hard you work, sometimes you just get fucked. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, fuck, you get bent over and fucked, and there's nothing you can do about it. And basically, the, 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 the most defining points of the human psyche were the id, the ego, the superego. These catalysts, you know, they were defined by Freud. Mm-hmm. And his fucked up way of looking at the world you know i mean how do you psychoanalyze your child i could never as a psychiatrist even presume to try and psychoanalyze my child you know i mean i mean i would just hope that you just you just shut off that part of your brain and instead of you know it's just instead of einstein being a worker just be a physics, dad einstein never spoke physics to his daughter yeah exactly you yeah know? he went home yeah you know and you know there's the old saying about how he used to beat on his wife but i mean you know back then how many guys didn't fucking slap their wife? You know, it was a crazy time. You know, it was a different period. It's a slap happy time. I, I think to myself, the human psyche, as frail as it is, man, it needs to stop pussyfooting around. Man, we have way too much to work with to keep fucking walking in this slow, linear, fucking sloth-like fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe in transcendence, man. I believe what Kurzweil says about the singularity. Um, I believe we as human beings, one day, either we step away from being the carbon-based, eating, sleeping, shitting creatures that we are as imperfect as we actually are, and we step away and become something better, or we fucking die off. You can't stay the same thing. That's why all the creatures that were alive a thousand to ten thousand years ago, they're fucking dead. And the creatures that are alive now are a close facsimile from those creatures before. You know, We don't have the same beavers that existed back then. You know, they're, they're different beavers. Evolution... As slow as it is, it's happening every single day. Well, I mean, people are always changing. I mean, culture is constantly changing, especially technology. I mean, people might not be physically evolving, which might really be, like, our biggest detriment because we still got, like, lizard brain shit in there. But, like, we're, we're still progressing. You know, I mean, like, just, like, social movements are coming and going. Like, people just have called hipsterdom just, like, it's the end of Western culture. Because it's, like, where irony meets, like, no self-examination meets blah, 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 other stuff. So, I mean, we are evolving, but uh, our physical forms are definitely taking a real fucking toll on that uh, you know, that objective. You said it, you know. I mean, that being said about hipsters, um, to make a side note, I mean, I honestly, uh, there was a time in which, you know, I was all on board about making fun of those old tight pants wearing a side bag toting fucking fixed gear riding douchebags. And then one day I woke up and realized I'm a side bag toting. Yeah, exactly. That's the trapping of it. Yeah. Fucking yeah. Douchebag. And, you know, I in no way, shape or form would like to be labeled as a hipster. But unfortunately, it's just it's the way of the world, you know. Uh, I yeah. think that was one of the bravest things I ever saw somebody do on stage was somebody who's just like who I'd always seen just deny themselves of like, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not a hipster. I, I deny that emphatically. And then just one time on stage, they go, fuck you. I'm a hipster. I don't care. Fuck you. Um, just the other night at King is, uh, old Vanderplukes, old uh-huh. Pluke. He had made that, you know, he had had a, he shot out a little bit of material about, so who gives a fuck? If the worst thing about you is that you're a hipster, at least you're not a fucking juggalo. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, it could be a lot worse, man. You, you know, you could be a complete piece of shit. There's a lot worse things than being pretentious. There's a lot worse things than wearing ironic t-shirts. 
Yeah. Um, what what I don't particularly enjoy about being labeled as a hipster is like most people assume hipsters to be very nose high, snooty human beings. You know, like oh, let me just go ahead and reference my encyclopedia of pop culture and you know historical events. Mm-hmm. And in all reality, most of the people that basically live within the hipster clique that is Denver, man, they don't know their ass from their elbow. Well, and that like that's the thing. Like for Denver, like there's like it's a, a part of a scene, but like compared to fucking like deep boroughs of New York or like Seattle, like it's not even that bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't. We as a hub here in in this city, we don't really know what it's like to feel an oversaturation of uh, multicultural inception. We, yeah, there's no culture we, in we, Colorado to appropriate. Well, well yeah, it's, it's all it's, white it's, people. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and all the people that are cultured, you know, that come here from somewhere else, they're just sort of passing through or they didn't plan on staying here. I mean, honestly, I'm here solely because of the fact that I have two children. Mm-hmm. They were both born in Colorado. Both of their mothers are from Colorado. They're natives. And I can't stay away from my kids, man. You know, uh, uh, there's an old, uh, I forgot which comic said it, but they said, you know, if you have a fucking child, the least you can do is pick up the fucking check. Mm-hmm. Don't fucking bitch about giving your kid money. Don't, I mean, don't give your kid money for nothing, but don't fucking bitch about having to help out your fucking kid all the way up into adulthood. And don't, don't bitch about the responsibility you have because when you create, when you formulate another human existence, when you farm another being you are solely responsible for every piece of pain, every piece of happiness, every experience that they will or won't have. That's your fault. Yeah. So if you can't just pick up the fucking tab, then fuck you. I mean, uh, and uh, at least I love my kids. I mean, so many kids go out there and they have a fucking parent that might as well not have been there because if, if you're not loved, what's the, what the fuck's the point of having a parent if that parent doesn't love you at all? Yeah, man. And, you know, that's one of the problems I've had with my mom is, you know, regardless of the shit that's come out of her mouth, you know, she's tried to convince me that deep down inside, you know, she loved me. But her actions can only tell me that my best interests were the last thing on her mind. Well, and that's the thing is at least you recognize that, you know, and uh, the parents are people, too, and they're they're flawed. And but it, ju- it just sucks that she had to you know be your parent and do that to you. So. Yeah. You know, Sorry about that. But I, I feel fortunate to the fact that, you know, I lucked out, man. I, you know, I had a decent stepfather. My grandmother was very nurturing. I learned some cool stuff from my biological father in the nine years that I lived with him. Mm-hmm. Um, when was this? Oh, uh, well, I lived with him during my late teen years. OK. You know, he let well, I wouldn't say a full nine years. Let's let's say eight, you know, seven ish, eight. He left when I was almost 17. Okay. He went to Missouri to rekindle a relationship because he was tired of living with a defiant teenager and having no pussy. And the only thing he could, the only thing he could turn to was a fucking occasional drug addiction, you know? Because my dad leveled it out, you know? He wasn't just fucking burning it off every single fucking day, you know? He took his time, you know? He paid the bills. Mm-hmm. He put food in my gut. He tried to elicit a sense of sentiment and love towards me. But there were just times, you know, out of the month where he just had to fucking go lock himself in the room and be with his his best buddy, you know? Drugs? Or himself? Well, one specific drug. What was that? Methamphetamines. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. It's the same with my mother, too. You know, she was a... You know, uh, Greg Baumhauer used to make a joke about me. He said, calm down. He's not on meth. His mom was. (laughs) And ironically, you know, and I never wanted to say this. Ironically, it was fucking true. And it's so sad because... People that, like, you know, I, I, 
experiment with drugs a lot. You know, I don't often do amphetamines just because of my past and my parents. Uh-huh. So when I do, it's because I'm already on other drugs. Okay. You know, I'll never just go out there and go grab myself some amphetamines. I also will not pay for specific drugs. There are certain drugs I will never pay for and I will never seek out. Like Coke or what? Yeah, cocaine, man. If you're paying for cocaine, it's pretty much... Unless you're already wasted at a party and your friends just got all... Hey, want to throw in? You know, fine. Here's 20 bucks if I'm going to be doing a bunch of lines with you all night. Sure, listen to that, man. But when you're calling a motherfucker to come meet you at your house like three times out of the week, get your dummy dust, you know? Personally, I don't like snorting cocaine anyway. I like smoking it. I mean, I've I've done intravenous drugs. And to tell you the truth, the the funnest way to do cocaine ain't snorting it. I mean, if you're really going to do cocaine, you're missing out. Okay. And grab some baking soda. Just grab crack. A pipe. Crack. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you want to really uh, cross that fucking great frontier, go find yourself a clean syringe. Figure out how to mix a load and see what that feels like. Because shooting cocaine and snorting cocaine, two different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would agree with that. Are a completely different experience. And you know, and I, you know, I haven't stuck a needle in my arm since I was in my early topic like 22. Was the last time? Well, just just before my first child was born. That's good that you're. Weaning off that stuff. Well, you know, it was never. I never. I mean, you know, I never had track marks or anything like that. I mean, like, I have beautiful arms. I never had track marks, and then you know, I never got to a point where I was spending the rent money. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean people don't frown upon the fact that you can experiment to that level. But me, I, I am not a. I'm not a biased man. I, I think that it's wrong for people to say, "Oh, this drug is okay because I do it this way," but that drug's not because. Huh, it, if you can do. One drug, you can fucking do them all. Yeah. And if you're going to try and idealize why you do any drug, you shouldn't do any drugs, period. Just do the fucking drugs, shut the fuck up, and see what you feel after you take them. How uh, how do you think you're going to approach drugs when it comes to like, your kids? If they start asking about well, it, you're going to be like, well, just stay be- the fuck my, away? Honesty is my best them? policy when it comes to any kid. You know, you want your kid to trust you. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, I hope my son comes to me to ask me about drugs. I'm not going to say, well, son, here, let me show you how to get a push out of a cracker. I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to just throw him into the pool. But what I am going to do is be honest to him about the detriment mm-hmm. that I've experienced from drug use and about the positive aspects. You know, uh, if I hadn't taken psychedelics, man, shit, I would be a completely different person. You know, I, I had a 3.8 grade point average until the ninth grade. You know, I was a, a, fa- a fairly good kid. And as you can tell you know i tried to educate myself mm-hmm. um i dropped out of college so it, you know when when was the first uh, i'm a little confused when was the first time you did psychedelics because the way you word it made it sound like you had a 3.8 in ninth grade then you did mushrooms in ninth grade or psychedelics okay in ninth okay grade. ninth grade was when i first started smoking marijuana regularly okay okay i had tried marijuana the first time when i was 11 years old but i didn't start buying bags of marijuana and smoking it on a regular basis Till I was, you know, a freshman in high school and I realized that no girls want to talk to me because I'm a douchebag who hangs in the media center with the Asian kids that play magic. <laughs> you know, dude, like my first ID, my school, my high school ID, I'm wearing this fucking Captain America t-shirt and I got this stupid fucking smile on my face and these dimples. Yeah, you do. And it just, like the look on my face just said I was never going to get pussy. <laughs> I was just never, ever yeah. going to experience anything besides my own lonely calloused hand. Well, at least it's got some texture. Uh, Ribbed for Vic's pleasure. And it's, it's, it's sad to say that, you know, that leap into drug use is what gave me a social life. And if I had to do it over again, you know, I would make the same choice. Not because I think having fun is more important than having a career, but because having fun is essential to experiencing human life. Because, man, 
you could die at any fucking moment. And if you worked your whole life trying to fucking be a lawyer and never once had fun and then you get hit by a fucking car, it sure feels like a waste, don't it? Yeah. You know? And and that's one thing that I bring up a lot about being a human being on this planet. If you if you're not upset at the fact that we're not leaving this rock and checking out all the shit that's going on, you're an idiot because it's just like going to a fucking theme park and staying in the men's room, smelling a guy taking a dump in the next stall all, <laughs> all day. You know, I want to go ride the rides. Mm-hmm. I want to go see the roller coasters. I know they exist. Uh, the fucking pure numbers themselves insist that there are things going on in this universe far beyond what's going on in this little 5% area of, of the universe and this little area of our galaxy. So to know that all this shit is going on, all kinds of crazy shit, infinitely, and to know that I am not privy to it in any direct way whatsoever, it's, 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 it's sad. It's like fucking holding me on a choke chain and fucking giving, giving me something I really want right in front of me and just holding me just far enough away from it. Well, I mean, the least we can still explore our world. I mean, there's still, there's so much just on fucking, so much in America. There's so much on Earth. There's so much inside ourselves that we can explore. But no, I agree. Spaceships would be tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leave it on that tag, right? Uh, I, tag. <laughs> spaceships would be tight. But I, honestly, it's it's more of a sense of, I don't know, I, I guess resentment towards my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah, why couldn't they have worked harder? I yeah, should have a spaceship. Just give it a little more effort, guys, and we would have had it. You know, if we would have just started dropping off this Christianity and this major religion bullshit a long time ago, we would have a lot more to work with. I mean, honestly, I think one of the biggest problems in the world, not just in America, but in the world, is not only organized religion, but three specific religions, which all stem from the same shitty genesis old testament fucking story mm-hmm. and honestly if you're a fucking creationist oh, no. man and you no, no, no. use a television if you're a creationist and you use indoor plumbing if you go to a doctor and you also believe in the bible uh-huh. you're a fucking asshole you're a fallacy in itself you know you're you're living in a circle spinning around and i don't mean to insult just in case you're a christian or anything i assume I you're an not. atheist I've given you the credit to assume you're an atheist. You seem a little too smart to be a fucking Thank you. religious. Thank you. But to, to sit here, because I hear all these Christians today too, and they're like, well, I don't believe in that part of the Bible. Then why believe in any of it at all? Okay. I mean, man, it's, it's so you tough. Because be- the, like, there really are some really good parts of it. But but those parts don't come but from Christianity. Some bad- you know, well, the good but- parts of Christianity come from something that's solely not Christian. Yeah, it comes from people. <laughs> you know, I mean, you good people attach the good parts of it. Shitty people attach the shitty part of it. It's just, it's just a different kind of justification. It's but like good. It's, it's good. just like being a guy at work who's like, this policy says not to blah. It's just it's just that. But it's good just, people become stupid people as soon as they pick up something that's going to be detrimental to. Like I try to say to people, Sam Harris said this. Religious preference is not the same as pizza toppings. It's not like enjoying green peppers over anchovies mm-hmm. because your choice to believe in something has consequences that affect other people, whether you want them to or not. Yeah. You believing in something stupid and allowing lots of other people and encouraging lots of other people to believe in something stupid. And then those people have control over the decision-making in, in, in the world. Uh, that's bad. That's bad, man. Um, plain and simple. Um, if you're going to tell me that some parts of the Bible are okay and other parts are bad, well, you know what? Would you let a guy fucking rerun the wire in your house because he was a great electrician if he fucked a million kids in the ass and murdered and buried them? You know? He, I, I don't agree with his policies on treating children and being a fucking child raper, but fuck, he's a great electrician. 
But I mean, like, it's dude. The Bible has a long, dirty, fucking tale of blood behind it oh, that definitely. cannot be ignored. And because of that, it should be expelled. But I mean, it, it's a murder cult, man. They they they're over here praying to a fucking a tool for torture and murder. The crucifix, man. That that, that was a tool for torturing and murdering human beings. Hmm. Their symbol of prayer and hope is a man with no fucking hope. Well, the symbol is a sacrifice, wood. though. The symbol is like Jesus okay, so put, putting give, himself let's on give that our torture accountability wheel. Away, then? You know, that's my other problem. Let's just give our accountability away. I don't have to worry about whether or not I'm a good person inside because all I have to do is accept the person who was perfect. No, I agree. I would agree with that. You know it's I mean? it's fu- a way to flush. That. Why can't we be nice all on our own? I think the universe is much more amazing from the eyes of a person who doesn't assume an afterlife. I mean, knowing that this is all I have as a fucking sentient human being. Yeah. Makes it a lot more important. If you think that in the end you're waiting to score out or get fucking punished, what's the point, man? I mean, what's the point? Honestly, if there is a God and that's his, then that's the way he's running shit, send me to fucking hell, man, because I don't want to hang out with him. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, like, I don't know, man, modern, I think there's just like a, a pretty prevalent seed of doubt, even like with people who believe, and that's why they have to just kind of attach onto this stuff. Um, I mean, I don't automatically resent anybody for being religious. Like, I'll, like, look at them just a little shitty. But, like, I've known, like, one of the best people I've ever known was wicked religious. But he never, like, it was just a thing about him. It was just, like, him being, like, six foot one. It was just a a thing about him. But, like, it's like anything. When you make one thing part of your identity, like, you're a bag of shit. Um, But I agree. It shouldn't be used to... Yeah, I made that same point when it comes to uh, aggressively homosexual people. You could fuck whoever you want, but the moment you turn it into a reason to wave a flag, a reason to color a bottle of vodka, a reason to speak a certain way, dress a certain way. That's actually, I was actually reading something really interesting about uh, the the lisp with that. It's just, it's social signaling is where the lisp comes from. Absolutely. Well, not just the lisp, the effeminate. The effeminate tone in, in, but it's, in nature it's still, in it's itself. Still just social sometimes it's not the lisp. Sometimes it's just an overly effeminate fucking tone of voice and mannerisms. And uh, you have to wear that fucking coat, don't you? You had to have glitter in your goddamn hair, didn't you? My point is, they're not a fucking race. Who you fuck is not a defining point in who you are. And if you define yourself by who you fuck, you're not that fucking interesting. So... I mean, I would agree with that, but like, I, I, I just, I don't understand. It. I mean, there's no, there's no fucking flag for people who love fucking hardcore anal and fucking, fucking pissing in bitches' mouths. But that's the Where, thing. Where's, but like, where's the flag? Nobody is being denied the right to like marry people because they piss in people's mouths. Well, whatever. The, we're, we're getting off topic. Oh, okay. This is turning into a debate. I don't, show. I don't believe that you know they should be oppressed as human beings. I don't believe that men should not be allowed to marry other men. I don't believe that. I don't think people should be kept from doing anything that doesn't hurt anyone else. Well, but good. the fact is, they're still, they're associating themselves, they're eliciting a behavior that I believe is detrimental to social progression. I mean, fuck whoever you want, man, but stop making that your reason for fucking getting up and dressing in the morning and doing what you do. If I, if, if I live my life based on who I get to fuck, shit, bro. Dude, I mean, that's I, how I everybody like, lives their lives to a degree, though. Like A lot of it's like, dude, that fucking girl you brought... Hot as fuck, dude. Or like, what? You can't get laid? Like, it's... Yeah, it's pretty sad on the other side, too, how the hetero side is not much... There's not much more substance to the basic heterosexual state of mind either, you know? It's really sad. People can't just be androgynous. They're afraid of that term, you know, androgynous. Just stop defining who you are sexually. Just exist as who you are and enjoy what you enjoy. Well, have you heard of, like, gender fluid? You know, I'm I'm not immediately familiar with... It's it's just kind of that idea. It's just like um, 
I'm just whatever gender I feel like today. Fuck you. I don't care. Maybe <laughs> I feel like being a boy. Maybe I feel like being a girl. Maybe I'm a man. Maybe I'm a woman. Maybe I'm both. Fuck you. So it's basically like it's that neo term for androgyny. Like, you know. Um, I mean, androgyny is like riding the middle line, and like gender fluids just like sliding all yeah, over whatever. the spectrum. It's like, hey, whatever flows, bro. Kind of like the Joker, you know, in yeah. Batman comics, you know. He said that his his past was basically a multiple choice. He likes to think of it as multiple choice. And every day the Joker wakes up and decides whether he's going to be a kooky prankster or if he's going to burn down a fucking hospital, mm-hmm. kill a bunch of kids. You know, he's either he, he's whatever he is on that day. And to define him as crazy is wrong because he has a very sane drive for his behavior. That's why I love comic books and I love archetypes. Mm-hmm. Not to like just shove into that <laughs> subject matter, but that's a defining point in who I am as a person. You know, Batman... Like how some people say that Jesus defines a lot of who they are as a person, you know, or they're, you know, Batman is my, he's a major deity on my pantheon. Uh, I've been influenced as a person by Batman probably positively more than anyone else in my life. You know? What is it about Batman that like you, you resonate with? Well, Batman is human, but he's the strongest superhero. Okay. Superman can't beat him. Aquaman can't, there's not a motherfucking member of the Justice League that ain't afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Okay, he always has a plan. He never gives up as long as there's a breath in his fucking body. He's just gonna keep on keeping on his fucking Batman. Priority number one: keep his city safe. It's a basic and simple principle. I don't want people to go through what I went through as a child. It, it's based from this sense of empathy and fear for others going through that type of pain. So Batman is this strong archetype in which any human being can bake because you can't imagine being superman because then you got to imagine things you'll never be able to do like lifting un- uh, endless amounts of weight and being able to fly through the fucking air and you know laser beam eyes that kind of shit that takes a stretch but to imagine being batman that's not so hard man it's not so hard to imagine being a kid who would have just been a wealthy spoiled prick if his parents hadn't been murdered and so he turned his entire perspective to uh, philanthropy turbo Turbo philanthropy, you know. Like that. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, you know. Strap on a cape. Fuck yeah, I'm, I'm, fighting somebody. I'm doing all that and this. <laughs> you know, that's why I love Batman. Plus, he never wavered, man. He never fucking wavered. And the character has been redefined several times, retold several ways. Bob Kane is the one who started the whole Batman can't kill because originally in the old Golden Age comics, you know, Batman killed all the fucking time, breaking. Breaking criminals' necks and shit and fucking shooting motherfucker. Batman carried a gun originally, oh, you know? boo. And so Bob Kane was like, wait a minute. People people aren't associating with him uh, specifically as a hero. You know, he's more of an anti-hero, and we can't have that here in the 40s. Mm-hmm. It's not approval by the authority. So huh. he decided to define Batman as a person who could not kill. Would not kill because his parents were murdered, and so he could not take a life. He'll cripple you. Sure, he'll fucking sever your spine. Oh, yeah. But you know what? He won't kill you. That's good. Um, all right. Good stuff. What? Um, all right. So where, where are we at with uh, Cheers. Well, you tried to delve into my past a bit. And yeah, it's, really, it's a really hard thing to explain my, my historical upbringing because, you know, like I said, I've bounced from states to states, man. I came from California to here to New York City to Vermont, you know, a whole bunch of New England. And then back here. And, you know, I've even been into the Northwest. You know, I got family that lives in Clagamas just outside of Portland. And, you know, I've been passed on from aunt to uncle to older sister to parent. All the way up until the point in which I was old enough to where they pretty much figured I could handle my own shit. And Mm -hmm. that was about 16. 
Uh, so about 16 family family went pretty hands off with you. Pretty much, yeah. I was like, what are we going to do? And it was because I, I stopped worrying about being defiant. I was a very, very obedient kid for a long time. I only lashed out in school in certain instances involving other students or, you know, Like they were picking teachers. on you or like being shitty? Well, or? well yeah. It, it was either, you know, that type of basic, you know, I didn't like being bullied. I also didn't like bullies. I had a very, I had a lot of Batman. Uh-huh. I had oh, a okay. very aggressive, I had a very aggressive nature towards people bullying other people. Uh-huh. But essentially, that made me a bully towards bullies, you know, when I didn't need to be, you know, because there were some kids who were just goofing around. And I remember this one kid was goofing around with a guy who was his friend. But because I had just walked up onto the situation, it appeared to me to be a kid being bullied. Uh-huh. And so I just made a dick out of myself <laughs> trying to fucking stand up for this guy who's like, yeah, that's my friend and we don't fucking know you, dude. Go away. <laughs> oh. You know? And, oh, man, you were trying. Yeah, I th- yeah, and I think about that, you know, like it, doing the right thing isn't always the right thing to do, you hmm. know? Uh, I, I, I myself, like I said, I didn't lash out unless it was, you know, social interaction with peers or other authority figures, people facilitating my education. You know, I met a lot of stupid teachers, especially when I was in Catholic school. Like you just had a problem with authority in general or just the teachers were just shitty? Poor authority. Just, people okay. who got the right to have authority over me, but it didn't seem like, even as a young kid, I could tell that they shouldn't be teaching me a goddamn thing. Uh-huh. You know, um, if, if, if you're going to teach math, you better believe in evolution. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna teach a child, period, you better understand the fact that every single kid is different and every single kid needs a specific click to take in information, you know? Some guys just naturally love to suck in anything that's spit out at them. They just suck in whatever book they open. Mm. And people mistake me for one of those people, you know, that has one of those still trap memories. You know, because I got a lot of crap here in my old fucking reference bank, you know? I've, uh-huh. I've taken a lot of time to read and educate myself but i am in no way a fucking savant i you know i i fucking forget where i put something five minutes ago you know if the shot glass wasn't in front of me i'd be looking around for it (laughs) it's it's funny to see that people have lowered their expectations of what's considered intelligence so much that they're putting me on a pedestal where i don't belong you know i'm no stephen hawking but i get guys talking to me like i'm a fucking genius you know, I, I have an IQ, uh, it, it averages because I took some nootropics. Do you know what those are? Those are experimental narcotics. Yeah, it's that new, uh, it's used, that you, new drink, the you, new water no, drink. <laughs> yeah, it's that new shit, dog. You know, it's supposed to fight gluten. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> nootropics were, uh, and there are several of them, they're, they're a type of narcotic developed by students of chemistry and professors of chemistry because the F, FDA won't approve any of the nootropics that have been developed because... They're not going to make any money off drugs that make you smarter and raise your IQ. Okay. You know, but I literally spent five years because of being closely knit with other people who were in school for chemistry. Uh-huh. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to experiment with nootropics for five years. And, you know, I, I literally raised my IQ from where it was when I first took state testing to just a couple of years ago when I took an IQ test. And, and not not an online multiple choice click the bubble. I mean, like a the, real, like there like are Stanford several Binet. aspects to an IQ test. Okay, they they an IQ test will measure your cognitive response, your problem solving skills, and your ability to recall information. All of those things combined into a whole make up your IQ. Mm-hmm. My IQ when I was first when I first was tested was one thirty one. What and, was it after the neuros? Oh, uh, one forty seven. Well, Damn, dude. Almost 150. 
What a bump. And I'm pretty sure that it's, you know, varies and going up and down from there. I mean, because I haven't been taking those neotropics for a long time. And sure. the effects can't last forever, you know. It's not permanent unless you continue to keep working at it, you know. If you play a board game, a new board game every single day, you're working a part of your brain that would never normally get worked mm. unless you do that. Because we're not problem solvers anymore, you know. We don't live in a wild where we have to solve problems to eat and sleep, you know. Everything is there in the grocery store or yeah i mean there's yeah dude the only problems you have to solve every single day is fucking the traffic laws which that's not problem solving that's fucking following a fucking maze that's following a modalic line bro okay and the lights guide you exactly where you need to go any information you need if you don't know it right away you click on your little talky face fucking phone it's true my phone is definitely you don't have to hunt for a goddamn thing because there are several grocery stores within fucking a mile of you at any fucking time uh, pussy is not something you have to fight another man for. You don't have to fucking get into a pit and go, fight whoa, for the whoa. best. Sorry, just thought the recorder was about to fall. Go ahead. You, know, you, you don't. You know, you don't have to battle another male to fucking win the fucking affection of a woman anymore. You know, there's just. Yeah, but it's, just it's all like a, it's out a, there waiting to pick the one that they feel like is the component for the night. You know, they're they're searching for the dick for the day. Dick of the day. You know, that, like a calendar. I, I see. <laughs> It's so Flip a new one. strange to see how human beings copulate now. I mean, how we romanticize with each other. Uh, you know, like here. Let let's uh, let me ask you. What was your first sexual experience? If you're comfortable talking about that, I can oh, tell yeah. you about my first sexual experience as uh, a teenager. Like my first, yeah, having sex with a girl. Yeah, um, I was 13 years old, and this girl that I met in Las Vegas. While my dad had taken, we were stopping through Las Vegas on our way back to California. And my dad was just, he was one of those compulsive fucking sticking coins in the fucking slot machine. Uh-huh. And so he gave me coins to stick in the arcade games. <laughs> and there was uh, another girl. Watch me, son. She was 17, I was 13, and she was basically oh. fucking victim to the same circumstance. You know, both of us were just kind of lost in this sad ocean of kids wondering where their parents were. And oh, man. And uh, surprisingly, you know, by coincidence, our, our hotel rooms were right next to each other on the same hall. It's like a movie. Yeah, we, we hung out and, you know, she showed me where to put it. You know, she yeah. gave me the guide to, you know, knowing how to use it. I mean, before that, all my sexual experience were like little kid doctor experimental stuff. When you're a young kid and you experiment with like the neighbor girl or a sibling or whatever, that kind of shit is, it's all developmental, but to a, a primordial extent it's not it's not definable to who you are going to be as a romantic okay it it might define whether or not you're going to become a rapist you know or something like that but it's not going to define why you love a woman or not what i experienced with this girl was i mean i guess basically the model the framework to romance you know Uh, being romantic not just No, no romance as a whole or like romance as you see it well, yeah, romance as I see it. Everything is, is how I see it. I'm living in a Fair paradigm, enough. man. I'm living in a paradigm. You know? I don't know what the fuck you're seeing, Benji. You get yours. I get mine. Well, I mean, just the way you worded it, I thought that you were thinking like this well, first all experience I, I had it all, was like the perfect form of romance. All, all I've been chasing I, no, it no, since. No, no, it was just basically the framework for how to okay. approach girls and be romantic because, you know, um, there was a period in my life where, you know, I treated women objectively, you know, I mean, fucking, I'm going to fuck you and that's it. And I don't really care about you. And I, and I, and I have a policy. I don't cheat. I'll just flat out leave you. If I want to fuck somebody else, I'm like, Hey, guess what? Dice rolled and it's not in your favor. I'm about to fuck this broad. That's just the way it is. But both women that I had children with, 
uh, I developed this sense of loyalty, this dog loyalty, you know, like I just suck it up, suck up what I don't enjoy physically about them, suck up what I don't enjoy mentally about them and just count my blessings and be happy that I like anything at all about them, period. Mm-hmm. Because neither of my children were planned. Neither of the women that I, you know, had kids with, I planned on being with f- fucking long term. Yeah. You know, I met my ex-wife at the satire lounge. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, she was six years older than me. And, man, you know, she was just a fucking mess. Uh, the, the last person you would ever want to start a fucking domesticated life with. But, <laughs> but hey, it happened, you know, and ended up happening. And she's more of a horrible drunk than I am, man. I mean, that chick fucking pounded down a fifth of fucking whiskey a day. Jeez. Are you guys still, like, in contact? Or I We mean, are barely on speaking terms. It's strange how that can happen. Someone that you love intensely. Can you hear his ass? Uh, yeah, we're picking him up a Hang little on bit. one second. Just one second. Okay. I'm going to stick him in the playpen and close his door. Check his ass and make sure he doesn't have any piss in his ears. Son, I'm coming. Hang on, stop bitching. You want a cookie? Hang on, just chill. Show your shit. You check your ass. hard man if you if you had a shih tzu you've had a kid i mean should I, I i've taken care of iguanas that were a little more high maintenance than fucking kids dude yeah iguanas die if they're not in the right temperature Fuck kids yeah. kids yeah. got like a hundred degree range they'll be okay yeah, yeah dude I mean, you get a real wide walking area when it comes to growing a child growing like a plant yeah well that's how i think of it you know i mean no you are you're cultivating a personality a person experiences and that's why i tread softly with when it comes to beliefs when it comes to recreational activity you know i I tread real softly on having any basic solidified uh, viewpoints because i don't want my kid to just adapt some poor social behavior that i have simply because i was adamant about it Uh uh-huh it's funny like you know like i said i never meant to have kids uh uh, I, i hate to say it but i I didn't want either of my children, but now that they're here, you know, I couldn't imagine them not being around. Of course. And, and, and it comes from something that's ingrained in us. You know, it's chemical. Any guy who accepts fucking props or a pat on the back for being there for their kids, that's like getting a pat on the back for shitting in the toilet. Okay, we have indoor plumbing now, so shit in the toilet. If, if you don't love, if you don't naturally have some sentiment or care for the children you create, then you're basically a sociopath, in yeah. my opinion. I mean... Well, what do you care about? Because there's not much more out there that's important. I mean, that's my genetic code there. That's, that's my chance at having my genes go into space and see the universe. Yeah. 
You know, it's the closest thing I'm going to have to immortality because we don't have micro or quantum processors and fucking, you know, nanomachines fixing cancer cells. And, you know, uh, if it was that point in case, you know, I, I swear to God I'd be infuriated with myself for having a child because there's no real need to have kids in a world in which we don't have to procreate by having sex. I mean, when we get to a point where we don't have to fuck to have kids... And we're already there. We can well, We can't. Yeah, we can already produce these situations, but we are not yet embracing. Oh, like culturally. Okay. Yeah, we are not yet embracing that as a people, and you know because of that, we're always going to be where we are until you know that that one day one guy flips the switch. It's how it always happens, you know. You know what Isaac Newton said was the most important thing that he ever did out of every the most important accomplishment, never having sex. Yeah, said so he kept his mind clear. Yeah, coming from a guy who like one of the most scientific minds in the world, but one of the most religiously fucking driven science minds in the world. Yeah, he's he's real weird out. He said that he learned the trappings of science in order to explain the will of God. It's insane to think about the fact that he's basically the one of the biggest rocks for the atheist movement, and he was in no way, shape, or form a fucking atheist. He's a, yeah, he's one of the biggest rocks for just existence. He did like. I still believe. I was gonna say, still, I still, still, I believe one of the smartest human beings on the planet. Period. I mean, not just for his time period, but uh, in all. Sure. Uh, so your your kids, you've got the two, right? We've mm-hmm. got the one one who's with us right now. What's mm-hmm. his? That's Odin. Odin. That's my son. Okay. Yeah. Who's the other one? Uh, Madeline, my daughter. Madeline. She's with her mother in Boulder. Um, uh, I'm just now getting to see her again after a year and eight months. What happened there? Ah, uh, rough. Rough uh, breakup, um, really bad treatment towards each other. I mean, like, the breakup caused a really bad turn Uh of behavior towards each other. Uh, That's why we're not really even on regular speaking terms. I mean, she treats me like a person. You and Madeline's mother? Yes, Emily. (laughs) Emily, okay. The woman I met at the satire. Okay. She wouldn't let me into her house to take a piss. You know what I'm saying? That's how she thinks of me now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Whereas I couldn't imagine not letting, like I, I would fucking jump in front of a bullet for any of my, the mothers of my children. Wow. You know, I can't imagine thinking of her as anything but a member of my family because I had a child with her. But in her eyes, I'm just a fucking piece of shit who knocked her up and deserves very little, if anything, from her whatsoever. Even human kindness, basic human kindness. I mean, I never... I don't have a single drug charge, man. Uh-huh. I don't have a single felony. No assault charges. I have nothing in my record to say that... Just 145 shoplifting charges. Uh, <laughs> I got a couple of theft charges. Most I, I of, mo- you know, it's funny, though. Most of my charges are uh, destruction of property. You know, destruction of property, graffiti, criminal mischief, graffiti, resisting arrest. I got a couple of those. Just like a puppy chewing up the couch. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, let me out. Um... And you and Madeline get along pretty well? Oh, uh, well, you know, I was her primary. You know, her mom was either working or passed out drunk. So, oh, you know, she, she, I was it, you know, when she, for the first three years of her life. But. Is she's daddy's little girl? She's she was. Right around now, the finger. Now she's grandma's girl, you know. Now oh, you know, she's no. in the custody of her grandmother, who was who a professor at CU. Her name is Anne-Marie Poise. Okay. Her husband, uh, Bob Poise, he was a professor of uh, World War History mm-hmm. at CU as well. Oh wow! So you know, uh, I guess I lo- that's another reason I was fine with melding my genes with Emily because you know, I mean, she had a background of both her parents being professors. So it means there's got to be something good in there. 
Yeah. And be something good in that juice. <laughs> juice. But shit, if 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 nothing rubbed off at all, it's obvious in the fucking behavior and fucking place in which their daughter is right now. Because how do you go from being a kid who grew up with two parents who only wanted to educate you to running away at 12 years old to be a train hopper and basically just shitting away every opportunity you had at fucking feeling successful or feeling a sense of pride. You know, her father drank himself to death. I imagine a lot of the reason probably had to do with the fact that, you know, he felt like he was a failure as a father because he was so busy being a teacher, being a professor, you know, and... Odin's freaking out. Is he okay? No, he's just yelling because he wants me to give him more fucking Cheetos. He wants more of these fucking dog oh. fucking these kitty treats. Gotcha. Um, so do you, like... Do you see any parallels between, you know, you and Madeline? You're, you you want to try and steer her kind of, you know, correct where... Well, I do see... Oh. I do see a... I do see a behavioral pattern that can be easily... I'm just going to give him the can. Hang on. I gave him a couple okay. last time. I'm just give him the whole fucking can. Okay. Shut him up. You're ruining it! <laughs> Don't you understand? All right? Jesus. You know what, bro? I'm going to tell you something right now. You're not going to get to watch Pee Wee's Playhouse and keep acting like that. Okay? Here. Stay out of the fucking dog bowl. You know I hate it. Gotta let him loose. He won't shut the fuck up. Hey, what's up, bud? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I definitely see some behavioral patterns that could develop from being raised by her mother and her grandmother. And it's not that I don't want her to be her mother's daughter. It's not that I don't want her to be like her mother, but I don't want her to make the same mistakes that her mother did. Uh-huh. Being that she has all the opportunity in the world to be more like her grandparents and not like her parents who were both drunk or drug users who met in a bar, you know, I mean, fuck her dad is a burnt out comedian who hasn't <laughs> ever had a, a better, a better paying job than fucking $12 an hour. You know, I, I could have aimed higher, but I just didn't. And I don't want her to feel like that's just the way you should be. Oh, fuck it. You know, I mean, I want her to try if she wants something really bad. You know, I want her to earn every single piece of happiness she has in life. But I also want her to feel appreciative for anything and everything that falls in her hands. Well, that's good, man. It sounds like you got, uh, and that's why I say, setting her up for some good framework. Honesty is the best policy. I think with kids, man, you, you, you let them know what you went through and you let them know that they can trust you when it comes to pulling bullshit. I would much rather my child give me a call and say, hey, man, I'm fucked up on booze and drugs and I can't drive. Please come pick me up. I know I wasn't supposed to be here, but I did it anyway. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You get points for having balls and you get points for fucking making the smarter decision, which was not to endanger your life or anyone else's. Yeah. You know, it's something simple like that. But that that type of behavior can grow onto all kinds of other situations when it comes to kids being honest with you. Like whether or not 
you know, they did something dishonest, you know, theft, you know, committing crimes, treating their spouse wrong, just general everyday life decisions, you know, they're going to be more open about the mistakes that they make with you because of the fact that they believe you're going to give them the most conducive, enriched answer that you can, you know. Why, why waste your time hiding all the problems you have when you can just as easily throw them out there and then dust them away? Sure. I mean, uh, openness, candidness, honesty, it always... You know, it's funny because, I mean, I have an image. I have a specific image here on the comedy scene. You know, people, you know, they, oh, he's the wild card. You can't... But if just one of those fucking pricks just booked me for a show, told me my time slot, Uh not only would I fill my time, not only would I do my best, but they wouldn't have to worry at all about me at all, at all about me offending the audience. And I think that's like the biggest thing. Like with Bobby Crane, you know, he... He's the the reason I can't do a show at the Deer Power right now. What happened there? Well, or do you know? Nate Lund gave me we... an offer. I don't mind. I mean, I don't okay. say anything. I'm not saying anything that I haven't said openly to Bobby and to everyone else. Nate Lund gave me an offer to be at the Deer Pile, and when the day came, after two weeks of me preparing, I wore my best fucking threads, prepared some fucking solid stuff. Uh-huh. I mean, you've seen me at Top Choice, man. I can make them chuckle. Yeah, man, you string together all that gold. You uh, have a pretty good set. I focused for this this date. I was waiting to do the Deer Pile because it's a guaranteed audience that's not comics. Yeah. You know, and oh my God, every time I've ever done a show where everyone in the audience was an audience member, oh, it, was, it, was, it was the best. So I was I was so waiting for this and I was just anticipating it and the, the night shows up and I go there and I'm ready and Lund comes out with this look on his face hey. like, like he's got to fucking tell, tell his son we're not going to Disneyland. Oh like my. I promise, you know, he's... Vic, you know, some other guys came and you had to be bun. And in all reality, he didn't want to tell me, Bobby Crane doesn't fucking like you because you hit him in the dick once. And so you you can't tell jokes here. And you know what? I hit Bobby in the dick for a reason because... Here. I hit Bobby Dick in the... Bobby Dick. (laughs) I hit him in his cock for a reason, you know? And this I've never said to him. But I hit him and Aaron Uris in the dick that night, that very same night... (laughs) Because both of them, I caught saying things, making comments about me in a negative light more than one time. Uh, and both of them have smiled in my face and shook my hand and said, hey, I'm your friend. Jeez. And I cannot help but believe you when you say you're my friend. I, I, I love a friend more than an enemy, man. And I would love a turn an en- to turn an enemy into a friend. And when you smile in my face and then fucking every chance you get, you try and shit on whatever progression I have. You know, I mean, literally... It sucks that these guys have had any ability whatsoever to hold me back, but they have. You know, their opinions have affected other people's opinions, and then me being angry at their opinions have well, that, it's that caused me detriment. You. Yeah, yeah exactly. you know, and then I end up you know, fucking myself. And it's 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 not only tragic, man, it's pathetic because who the fuck is Bobby Crane? Who the fuck is Aaron Uris? So why the fuck should I let them affect me so much? It's because I mean, who the fuck is anybody when it comes down? Who the fuck is that's exactly John the point I'm driving down, down to, to. You know, not only is not only is it pointless for me to care about either of their opinions in a sense of why, why I'm doing comedy, but it's pointless for me to try and gain their approval when their approval will do little to nothing for my progression as a comic. The only thing that's going to make me ascend as a comedian is to continue to work hard as a comic. And, you know, a good guy and a class act, fucking uh, Anthony Crawford, everyone's up his ass right now. Fucking they're just sucking on his cock because fucking, hey, he's funny. Yeah, he's also funny and he doesn't piss people off. Yeah. Because it's not just being funny. It's also don't piss people off. 
Crawford don't make waves. Okay? So that's why they're like, mm, 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 mm. guess what? One of them captains is going to come up to him for Final Four, and he's going to be part of the contest without even having to ask. And you know what? They're just going to go ahead and just finger his gooch and fucking just give him what he needs because well, but I mean, like, he comes off the way they want him to come off, you know? And that, that's something. I mean, we, had, we, we got into a discussion about this last night, Benji. It's one of the reasons we're doing a podcast right now is because I fucking livened up that fucking mic at Kinga's when everyone was pissing and moaning about the fact we had to do that shit upstairs. And even Byron admits this shit. Whether or not you were privy to it by fucking paying attention, I had 12 different people that night come up to me and not just compliment, but say, man, thanks for fucking waking up this show. It was really fucking boring. And well, I'm so, I feel so sad to hear all these guys who come up every single day, yourself included, who you try your best, man, and you're giving it your fucking material, and motherfuckers just aren't hearing it because they already didn't want to hear you from the moment you stepped up there. I mean, I, I think that you shouldn't give a shit what I think about it then, and if you had 12 different people come up and say thank you to it, like, that should be the victory you take away from it. Like, if Aaron and Bobby don't like you... Like, that's a bummer, but, like, you can't let it affect you. Because I did that when I was starting out. I There were just a couple people. Like, I would just, uh, just hosts would just shit on me after my set. And I used to fucking hate him so much. And I wanted to do the same thing. The doll? Did you get a little just, bit of the doll ringer? No, Jordan was always he's, nice. Yeah, he's me. usually class act. You know, Jordan's giving me a couple pot shots, but usually I believe it to be in fun when Jordan does it. But just, like, I just had the same, like, initial reactions. I wanted to fucking hit him because, like, it's so... Which mics? I'm already doing asking. This. I really don't want you to because I'm friends say, with them now. Uh, well, I'm friends with the guys I just talked about. You know, I wouldn't. I'm going to say something. Everything that I've said about Aaron Urist, everything that I've said about Bobby Crane, I don't mind saying to either of them, and I don't mind being their friends even after the fact, because the things that I'm upset about between me and them, they're not good enough reasons to not be a friend. Sure. They're not good sure. enough reasons to not be a nice guy. They're good enough reasons to lash out every once in a while and get pissed off and show a bad attitude, mm-hmm. but they're not good enough reasons to fucking. Mark a person as an enemy and refuse to be their friend. Aaron Urist has his moments where he can be a compassionate, empathetic person to me. And, you know, he's shot me a few compliments. Some Most of the time they feel pretty backhanded. but <laughs> That's just comedy compliments. <laughs> he, he has, you know, elicited some friendship behavior to me. Bobby Crane included, too. He's done the same sort of thing. But when they go right back again and go around in this fallacy over and over again, it just kind of makes it pointless. And it makes me upset because of the fact that I just want to pick one or the other dude, either just fuck off and feel the way you do about me or give in and stop bitching about the shit you don't like because I'm doing my best, man. And I'll tell you, uh, in comparison to a lot of cats who've been on this scene, I don't have to try as hard to make people laugh because I'm already prepared to do so. So, not as a braggart, but as an experienced comedian of 10 years, you can't keep putting a guy down when you know that motherfuckers are noticing him. And it's starting to piss me off that Dude, I mean, I just have... keep your head down then. Just keep pounding away. That's all you got to do. That's what everybody says. Just keep your head down and just keep pounding away and it'll work out. You know, And uh... it sucks. And I know that that's a thousand times easier to say than to do. And I totally get that. Don't you hate those platitudes? Easier said than done. Burn the hands, we're to the butt. You know what I'm saying? It sucks when those platitudes only apply to saying the platitude itself. And when it comes to actually living the action, easier said than done. Literally, man. It's it's easier said than done to apply easier said than done to your life. Storming it. Okay. Oh, no way. They're best buddies. Okay. I just didn't want it. 
They're best buddies, man. Uh, my kid and my dog would not have this dog wouldn't be in my fucking house if she wasn't perfect with my kid. Okay, that's good. I just the the first time she ever shows a sign of aggression, she's gonna fucking get a hundredfold worse than she can imagine fucking <laughs> doing to my son. Okay. So you know, no, she's a good dog though, man. She's never yeah. she's never had any problems. She's she great. Nice. Um. So. What, you got into comedy at 19. What? What? 2003. In 2003. So what Like, uh, what was the first step that got you, you know, wanting to go into comedy? Well, my friends told me I should oh, do it. No, no, no. He can't turn it on. It's not plugged in. Just okay, cool. Him, just let him fuck with shit. It's fine, dude. There's sorry. no bleach or I'm poisons sorry. and shit. Let him go. Yeah. That's fine, sorry. dude. Nothing he's going to break that I care about right now. So. Perfect. Okay. Anyway, um, what got you into comedy? Uh, I had... I had always been a class clown and a performer, you know, an attention-starved person. Like I said, I was immersed in stand-up specifically from a very young age. At the age of five, you know, I was watching Delirious, and I was watching George Carlin specials and Sam Kennison and Robin Williams and Red Fox, and the list goes on. Um, I read uh, Lenny Bruce's autobiography when I was 10 years old. Oh, wow. You know, uh, and that, that was his book that he wrote, How to Talk to Her to Influence People. Yeah, I read the biography about him that was written by a man who followed him around for two years, which is called Ladies and Gentlemen, Lenny Bruce, when I was 13. And that was one of the turning points when I thought to myself, I'm one of these people. But I wasn't quite to the point where I was going to do comedy. I just felt like I was a comedian who was never going to be a comic. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't until, like I said, um, I, I'd been encouraged to do it, oh, I, I don't know how many times, countless times throughout school, social situations. I had been encouraged to be a comic, but it wasn't until I had met Chuck Roy through a friend of mine I was doing graffiti with, another facet of art altogether, that I ended up giving it a shot on stage. Uh, Cosmos was great, but then when I did it again at Squire Lounge, night and day, my friend. Well, yeah, Squire's a whole different. <laughs> Greg Baumhauer animal. in the Squire is a specific. I mean, he himself is an archetype here in this fucking scene. And yeah. I used to have my problems with Greg because of the fact that, man, he sure fucking made fun of me a lot. He was sure, sure as shit, mean as fuck. Yeah. But I can't help but kind of thank him for that really brutal upbringing into this scene because I have skin as tough as tough can be, but there's not a lot you can fucking say that's going to break me down and make me fucking hang it up. Hmm. You know, I mean, shit. Uh, O'Shea told Josh Blue to fucking take a year off. And then maybe he should find another profession. You know what he did? He went and entered Last Comic Standing and won. <laughs> and then he was take fired that. and Deacon Gray took his job. Huh. So it's funny to think about the fact that negative reinforcements sometimes can work. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's a great motivator at the, at the least. It's, well, and like, I don't know. And like, that sounds like a good buffer for later in the career because like, no matter what Greg can say to you, there's going to be somebody in LA who can hurt you a billion mm, times absolutely. more. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because guess what? LA is a real town for the fucking business. Uh, it's a business in LA. Uh, get out of the water bowl, dipshit. I told you. <laughs> fucking boot to the back. That's what you're going to get. <laughs> I, that, LA is a town where it's a business. You know, out here, it's a fucking pastime, it's an art form. In L.A., it's a fucking business. In yeah. New York, it's a fucking business. That's the difference. The sole difference. Either you're doing it to get fucking paid or you ain't. And out here, if you're doing it to get paid, you're doing it for the wrong reasons because every comic here is here. They're an artist and they're doing it because they're an artist. Or they're doing it because it's therapeutic. 
They're doing it because they feel like they're gaining some part of themselves they never knew existed. Uh-huh. You know, like some sense of self-discovery and, you know, personal growth. Uh, that's the difference between here and L.A. And, yeah, you're right. It's going to hurt a lot more in a fucking city where it's a fucking business and you ain't part of it. Yeah. Um... So during your adult life, you're doing comedy. What else do you have going on at that time? Oh, you know, I've done a lot of painting, cartooning. I've done amateur cartooning, comic book stuff. Like for, in newspaper strips? Uh, you know, I've never had any zines printed for any, you know, publication. But, you know, I've had underground printings, you know. and Underground printings. And uh-huh. I've had a, a few contests that I entered. I was going to actually enter the 24 Pages in 24 Hours comic book contest. Okay. But I had to work, you know, King Giz is a demanding job. Yeah. My weekends are fucking shot, bro. You know, Saturday and Sunday, it's like 12 hours, both days. And fuck, man. Uh, sometimes I regret taking that fucking job, but then I also kind of feel happy about it because it's a really fucking hard job to lose. Because pretty much all I got to do is fucking show up. <laughs> show up and fucking make the food. And it doesn't show up and show your tits. I mean. It doesn't matter how fucking hungover I look. It doesn't matter how much shit I talk to my boss. So many people have quit that fucking job that they're just happy that someone is going to keep showing up. That's good. Um, yeah, okay. So, doing some paintings, doing, yeah. so. As far as an artist, I mean, I actually did some music for all, you know, from the age of uh, 17 to 19, I was in a punk rock musical group by the name of Lane Miner's Vengeance, for any of you who out there who... Who might have your cassette. Rock, yeah. Listen to punk rock back in the day here in Denver. Um, yeah, I was in a hardcore punk rock band, and then I moved on to doing wedding gigs with this other band full of real musicians, because I was, you know, considered a decent vocalist, a really good vocalist, and you know, I hooked up with some really good musicians, and you know, we did some really good parties, some really good gigs, and then at 22, I just decided I wanted to just only do comedy. Hmm. I didn't want to fucking hold a guitar anymore unless it was to be funny. Gotcha. Uh, there's there's something about being funny, man. There's something about making people laugh. Uh, you know, it's it's better than any drug that I've ever done. Uh, nothing feels better than knowing that one guy, for just a little bit out of the fucking shitty ass life that he has to lead, took a break and smiled for a bit. Yeah. Had a laugh, you know. That's Especially nice. When That's it comes noble. To doing open mic comedy in bars because the audience members you get in bars are the sad dregs that society can produce i mean yeah they are bummed out than being in a dive bar on a weeknight late late on the weekend yeah, you know, well, you know, you're not there to meet women you're just there to drink yeah you're just there to drink and sort of for the company know. of the bartender um so what's next for Vic G? you know uh make sure that my kids make it out of my care you know into the age of fucking reason where i can fucking let them do their own thing and I'm hoping here in the next five years I'll be filling some arena seats, man, and getting paid to do some real performing because shit, man, if I've developed this much in 10 years, imagine at 15, Mm -hmm. you know, 16 years. And uh, even though there are people out there who wouldn't believe that I'm dedicated to being a comic and that I don't work at it, it's exactly the contrary. You know, every single day I work at material every single day just because I don't bring up a little booklet full of fucking jokes that I've written down. It doesn't mean that I don't practice and, and try to make people laugh on a daily fucking basis from the perspective of being a stand-up comic. Sure. Uh, which is pretty annoying for my peers and my family. And, you know, my wife, oh, my God, she goes through it, dude, because I'm always working out material on her ass. And so she's just fucking like, oh, can you just give it a fucking rest? <laughs> just like let one thing you say not be a punchline. Let one thing you say not 
elicit a laugh, please. <laughs> and, and I work really hard at it, and I'm hoping that, you know, within the next five years, you know, I'll see some real payoff. You know, I don't need to be fucking Rolling Stone, cover of Rolling Stone, fucking that Van Halen soundtrack montage as I fucking shake hands with all my favorite idols and fucking yeah. get my dick sucked by everyone who ever talks shit. You know, I, even if I don't quite make it to there, if I could just get to a point in which I'm a, I'm a well-versed road dog that's had, uh, you know, a lot of really good shows, filled a lot of good seats. Yeah, and you, when you think comedy, you think Vic G. You think you could be happy just yeah. being a road, like just not having any other job I in comedy? I would be happy being a burnt-out Geraldo, dude. I, I'd like if, if, if I could fucking... Make enough of a name for myself to be a prominent figure in the idea of modern comedy, and then fucking die. Sure, that's better than it almost. It's almost better than. I mean, Geraldo's still is shooting pretty high. I'm asking if like you would be happy just being like, ah, uh, like who's someone like like Phil? Like, like if you could just be that, if you're just like a professional and you just do absolutely club gigs, you'd be. I happy would with be that. completely content with just having to work as a comic, rather than to have to work as a cook or some other modern slave you know i hate having a boss man ain't nothing worse than having a boss man i love being an artist so if i could at least make enough money to pay my bills and have a little fun yeah complete contentment you know cool man well i feel like we got into some good stuff i feel like i've I've only scratched the surface of all that vic g has to offer uh, hopefully I'll get better at interviewing and a little calmer of an interview than you thought, huh? Bet you expected me to. No, I was expecting that for five minutes, and then I thought we'd get to this point. Yeah, no, I mean I'm pretty much prepared when it comes to something like this. You know, uh, take into consideration what you're doing. You know, you're being interviewed. I know you're not fucking Charlie Rose or anything. You know, no, but not. you know, show some precedent, show some respect, and understand that you know this isn't me trying to perform for people. This is me being interviewed by a person who has a show. Yeah. So, you know, I'm taking the time to step outside myself as a performer and try to show you who I am as a human being. Well, and I appreciate that, man. And uh, it was a real good episode. I think we got a little bit to the know each other a little bit better. And we got to the meat of who and what Vic J is. And, well, know. I really appreciate the fact that you came all the way down here to put me up on your show, man. You know, it's a real big gesture to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To you, this is just a small gesture. But to me, you know, it means a lot. Well, that's, you're welcome, bud. All right, uh, signing off for Ships in the Night. I'm Ben Bryant. Thank you so much for my guest, Vic G. Keep on sailing, folks. Keep on sailing. We're doing like the Pete Holmes thing. <laughs>